The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. It's not often that I find myself fighting back tears in a restaurant. But a few months ago at the White Spot in Abbotsford, I found myself doing that very thing. I was sitting in a corner booth with Ron. Ron and I have known each other for about 30 years. He's in his late 70s. I've journeyed with him through some deep waters in his life. I thought I knew everything about him. But what he told me this day struck me at my very core. You see, Ron was adopted as a baby. But his adoptive parents, though they loved him and they did their best to support him and to raise him, they had some peculiar ways of thinking. One of the things that they did, and they communicated this to Ron as a young boy was, they never gave him their family name. He always maintained his birth name. He was never given his adopted name. And the reason they told him was because they didn't know what kind of a man he would, write or, uh, would you know, grow up to be, and they didn't want him, they didn't want to risk him sullying their family name. They didn't know if he'd be a good boy or a bad boy, a fine man or an evil man. And so they never wanted to risk giving him their family name. He knew this as a young boy. He told me the story of how one day, he said he was about seven or eight, doesn't quite remember, and he was sent home from school. He doesn't even remember what he did uh, at school that day. I mean, it was in the 40s, who knows what. He could have been chewing gum. For whatever reason, he was sent home that day from school. And he was said, he said, I remembered being in my bedroom and just being punished. And he said, I could hear my mother out the, the bedroom door talking with the neighbor. And the neighbor said, I saw Ron come home. What's wrong? What's going on? And Ron said, he heard his mother say to the neighbor, well, you know, he's not our flesh and blood. He carried that with him his whole life. He's not our flesh and blood, you know. He's not really ours. He felt that distance deep in his heart. He buried that within him. Decades later, when he was in his 50s, he actually began to pursue and investigate his birth parents. He discovered that they were both deceased. His father was a, a, an alcoholic, died as an alcoholic. But he then discovered some living relatives, an aunt and an uncle. And so Ron made contact with them and they told him where they lived and they said that he could come and find out more about his, his biological uh, family. So Ron found himself standing on the threshold, standing at the door of that home. He knocked on the door, his heart was pounding, didn't know what to expect. And the woman opened the door. She looked at him and the first thing she said to him was, you have your father's hair. You look just like your father. And then she opened her arms and said, you are welcome here. You are family. We're all searching for our home. We're all trying to find the place where we belong. Hear this. That place is in Christ. You belong in Christ. It's what you were created for. It's where you're going to find your true identity, your true destiny. Now, last week, we embarked upon a series that's dedicated to unpacking and explaining what it means to be and to live in Christ. However, 
We also learned last week that there are some strong headwinds that are blowing against us as we search for our true identity. We learned that there are five lies that we all need to battle and we all do battle to some degree in our life. Remember those lies. The lies are this. You're all alone. You aren't smart enough. You're damaged goods. You're powerless. And your future is hopeless. Lies. All of them lies. And the good news is, when you understand and live what it means to be in Christ, you are equipped to debunk and to defeat every one of those lies. So last week, we began at the beginning. We began by answering the question, okay, what does it mean to be in Christ? And we learned that there are terms for people who, who look to Jesus as the God and forgiver of their lives. There's the term Christian. There's the term Christ follower. But we learned that in the Bible, far and away, the most popular term for someone who looks to Jesus is someone who is in Christ. The Apostle Paul used it dozens of times. And he was probably following the lead of Jesus himself. Because Jesus said this, as quoted in John chapter 15. Jesus used this metaphor. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. So when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you are a Christian, you are in Christ. Last week, we used these two analogies. It's not a spatial thing. It's not like a hammer in a toolbox. It's like a branch in a tree. That's what Jesus was saying. I am the vine, or I'm the tree trunk, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, then you're going to bear much fruit. Our big idea last week was this. Being in Christ is not having his life near to you, like the hammer in the toolbox. Being in Christ is having his life flow through you, like a branch and a tree. Okay. So last week, we learned what it means to be in Christ. And we debunked the first lie, the lie that says you're all alone. No, we learned that when you are in Christ, you are never alone. His life flows through you. Okay, so that leads us now to the next crucial question. So what do I have to do to experience life in Christ? I know what it means to be in Christ. What do I have to do to experience this? We're going to dedicate the next 20 minutes to unpacking the answer to that life-changing question. Now, as far as I understand it, there are two foundational keys to experiencing life in Christ. As your outline says, the first key is to accept it. Being in Christ is not something that you do or accomplish or earn. Being in Christ is something you simply accept. Now, this truth puts a dagger through the heart of the first lie, the lie that says, I'm not smart enough to succeed. Because the key, and this first key, immediately clarifies the nature of what it means to experience life in Christ. It's not something you have to be smart enough to achieve. It's something you have to be humble enough to receive. You accept it. Look how the Apostle Paul described this dynamic. I'm reading from the 13th verse of the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul write, writes this to Christ followers. He said, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a stamp, the promised Holy Spirit. Now Paul says, you were included in Christ. Now notice something here, and this is important. When? When were you included in Christ? He said, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Not when, when you passed the purity test, not when you achieved enough merit points, but when you heard the message of truth. Now, in your Bible or on your outline, circle the word heard. Now, Paul wrote this letter in ancient Greek, which was the universal language of the first century. And the word that Paul used for heard was the Greek word akouo. Everybody say akouo. That's right. It's where we get our word acoustic. At its most basic level, the word akuo means to hear, the basic hearing. It's like the story of the gentleman who goes to his doctor and he says, Doc, he says, listen, I'm concerned about my wife. I think she's losing her hearing as she's getting older, but she's too proud to come and tell you about it. How can I prove to her and how can I discover whether or not she really is losing her hearing? And the doctor said, here's a simple test. Just stand back from her several feet and ask her a question and just keep getting closer and closer. When she's got her back turned to you, she can't be seeing you do this, but just get closer and closer and see how close you have to get before she can actually hear you. The guy says, that's, that's why you're the doctor. That's a great idea. I'm going to do that tonight. So the gentleman goes home that night. His wife has his back turned at the sink and she's doing something at the sink preparing dinner. And he stands 15 feet behind her. And he says, dear, what's for dinner? No response. So he walks five feet closer. Now he's 10 feet away. Dear, what's for dinner? Still nothing. So he walks five feet closer. He's just five feet behind her now. Dear, what's for dinner? Still nothing. So he walks right beside her. He says, dear, what's for dinner? She finally spins around and says, I've told you four times, meatloaf. Clearly, that guy had some akuo issues of his own. But it's more than just physically hearing. There are nuances when it comes to this word for hearing or heard. It can refer to the simple ability to hear sounds, but there are other aspects to this word as well. This word akuo can also refer to the act of physically hearing, but not actually listening. You're physically hearing, but you're not actually listening. My wife recently complained to me that I don't always listen to her when she talks. At least I think that's what she said. I mean, have you done this? You're sitting in a restaurant, you're sitting across from someone, and they're telling you this long story, and you're starting to just lose interest in the story, and you start to daydream and look at the people around you and, and watch the TV screen behind the guy that you're talking to, and, and you're listening to the people behind you in the booth behind you. You have lost interest. You can physically hear, but you're not actually listening. So there's the basic level of physically hearing, then there's the level of hearing but not listening, but that's not all. There's also the level of hearing and listening, but not believing what you're hearing. That's the classic wet paint dynamic, where you see a sign or someone says, hey, don't touch that, that's wet paint, and there's something in you, you hear it, but you don't believe them, and you reach out and you touch it to see if it's actually wet. So you can see this word hearing has many levels to it. 
It can be physically hearing. It can be actually hearing but not listening. It can be hearing and listening but not believing. And then there's the level of meaning which the Apostle Paul uses. It's the level of not only hearing but also believing and accepting what you're hearing. This is the level of hearing where faith takes place, where trust is experienced. This is the level of hearing where eternal life is unleashed. You see this when Paul uses the word akuo in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 10, 17, listen to what Paul says. Hear what he says. Paul says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith, or trusting in Christ, comes when you hear and actually believe and accept what you heard. So, how do you experience life in Christ? The first key is this. You simply believe what you heard. You accept it. You are included in Christ when you hear, when you accept the message of truth. By the way, what exactly is this message of truth to which Paul is referring? It's the good news that Jesus came. He lived life here on earth, God in flesh, and Jesus did what we could never do. Jesus came and cleansed us of our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. And then he offers us this free gift that we have to accept. It's a free gift that we don't earn, we don't work for it, we simply accept it. That's the first key. That's the good news. That's the message of truth. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he died for us to offer us the free gift of eternal life and salvation. By the way, have you done that? Have you heard the message of truth? I'm not asking have you physically heard it. I'm not asking have you physically heard it but didn't really listen to it. I'm not asking have you physically heard it, actually listened and not believed. No, I'm asking have you heard it, listened to it, and actually accepted it. That's the only way you can experience life in Christ. If you haven't accepted and trusted in Christ's work, you're going to be given the opportunity to do that in just a few moments. So get ready. Okay, let's quickly review. We're doing two things today. We're learning how to experience life in Christ, and we're debunking the second lie that we all hear at some level in our lives. The lie that tells us we're not smart enough to succeed in life. So how does experiencing life in Christ debunk this second lie? Like branches are in a tree, we are in Christ. That means that our success is entirely dependent upon his success. His victory flows into our lives just like life in the tree trunk flows into the branches of the tree. This leaf is entirely dependent upon the success of this plant. In the same way, our success is entirely dependent upon Christ's success because we are in Christ like a leaf and a branch is in a tree. So our so-called intelligence or smarts or skills are not even a factor when it comes to our ultimate success in life. Our talents and our skills have nothing to do with our eternal success. We are in Christ so our success is dependent upon his success. 
That's how experiencing life in Christ debunks this second lie. The first key to experiencing life is to simply accept it. It's a gift that we accept. It's not a status that we earn. We simply hear and believe what we've heard. But that's just the first key. It doesn't end there. Experiencing life in Christ on a daily basis requires that we take this next crucial step. Now, Jesus had a brother named James, and James eventually became a leader in the church, and he wrote a letter filled with practical advice to his congregation. James used a lot of creative illustrations. Let's listen to one such example from the first chapter of his letter. James writes this in James chapter 1, starting at verse 22. He said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now let's pause there for a moment before we read the rest of this passage. Do you hear what James is saying? The word merely speaks volumes. James is saying hearing and accepting the message of Christ, that's important. It's the first and foundational step, but you can't stop there. That's what the word merely is implying here. Do not merely listen to the word. It's important to listen to the word, but don't merely, don't just do that. There's another step he's saying. Let's keep reading. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James is saying, when all you do is listen and, you, and accept, but don't follow through on that, he says, you're like someone who goes, looks at themselves in a mirror, walks away and forgets. It's like me looking at myself in a mirror and then walking away and saying, oh, do I part my hair in the middle or on the side? I can't remember. James is adding yet another layer to this hearing pyramid. He's saying there are some people who hear and accept, but then they walk away and they forget. They accept the truth, but then they never actually apply and live the truth that they've accepted. That is not experiencing life in Christ. So how can you and I avoid this mistake? Well, that's the second key. First, you need to accept it. And then, as your outline says, you need to set your mind upon it. Now, what does that mean? One of the most frequent times we hear the lie that we're not smart enough is when we face temptation. When we're tempted, we often hear the whisper, you might as well just give in. You might as well just go do it. Go sin. Face it. You're not smart enough to figure out how to live the Christian life. So just give in. Just give up. You're not smart enough to figure out how to resist temptation. You're not smart enough how to figure out how to be consistent in your Christian life. Face it, you're just not smart enough to work this whole Christian thing out. So give up. Just give in. Dive into the sin pool. It's at those moments when we are in the valley of decision that we need to set our minds upon the truth of what it means to experience life in Christ. Okay, so how do you do that? How do you, what does it mean to set our minds upon something? In the middle of a discussion about how to respond to sin in our lives, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. Romans 6, 11, he says this, Count yourselves 
dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Underline that word, or those words, count yourselves. Now, that's just one word in the original Greek language. It's the word logizomai. It's where we get our word logic. Logizomai means to decide, to conclude, to reason. It's the word for sitting down and pondering, for thinking through a situation. It's the word for weighing the options and then settling upon the best and most reasonable way forward. I remember a moment in my life when I had to logizomai, a situation. It was a couple decades ago, and I, uh, if you're not familiar, I've had some pretty serious uh, eye issues over my life. I've had a few surgeries uh, for my eyes. And I remember once being sent to a specialist here in Vancouver. And uh, I sat in his office for about an hour waiting for my turn. And then as I was the next one uh, to see him, just at that moment, the receptionist said, I'm sorry, Mr. Latham, uh, the doctor has been called away to the hospital for a consultation quickly. C can you wait? And I said, all right, I'll wait. I ended up waiting two, three hours to the point I was literally the only person in this entire waiting room. Everyone else had gone. Even the receptionist had gone. I was there two, almost three hours, sitting and waiting. And I had to think to myself, do I just leave? Do I just go home? It's been four hours now from the time I first arrived. Should I wait? What should I do? Well, finally, after about three hours of added waiting, the doctor came. And he says, please, come in now. And I sat down in the chair in his, in his room, and, and he said, I am so sorry for your wait. And I said, you know, doctor, he said, I did a lot of thinking over that time, and I had to make a decision. I said, I had to decide, either you're the most incompetent doctor and the worst time manager in this entire city, or you are such an incredibly good doctor that everybody wants you. I said, I decided on the second option, and that's why I stayed. I'll never forget, he looked at me, he said, well, well oh, I, thank you, I guess. Thank you very much. Paul is saying, when you're faced with temptation, you should do the same thing. See, at that moment in my life, I logizomized my situation, and I decided that doctor was worth the wait. You've got to do the same thing when you're uh, in the valley of decision regarding sin. You have to set your mind upon the fact that your life is in Christ. Set your mind upon the fact that in Christ, you are alive to God, and you're actually dead to sin. Now, what does that even mean, to be alive to God and dead to sin? It means that when you're in Christ, your identity has changed. It means when you're in Christ, you're no longer a free agent, able to choose when and how you're going to sin. This leaf no longer can decide it's going to go over here or go over there. It is attached to that tree. When you are in Christ, you're not a free agent deciding when and how you're going to sin. Think of it this way. It's like a, a player who signed a contract with the Vancouver Canucks. They can't arrive on a Saturday evening and say, you know something, I think I'm going to play for the Blackhawks tonight. Or, you know something, I, I like the uniform of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm just going to go over to their dressing room and play on their team tonight. 
You can't do that. You're not a free agent deciding wherever you want to play and for whatever team you want to play. No, you are uh, uh, not a free agent. You have signed a contract. You are bound to the Vancouver Canucks. In a similar way, now you are in Christ. You are now tied to him. You are connected to, you're attached to Christ. He's the tree. You're the branch. His life is flowing to you and flowing through you. So Paul is saying, when you face temptation, snap out of it. Get your mind right. Set your mind upon the truth of what it means to be in Christ. Sin is not an option, Paul is saying. You don't even have the choice. Count yourself, logizomai, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Reason it out. I don't even have the option whether or not to run after sin. I can't. I'm not a free agent. I am in Christ. Set your mind upon that truth. Well, let's conclude. Last week we learned what it means to be in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, detached from me, you can do nothing. We learn that doesn't mean it's like a hammer in a toolbox. It means it's like a branch on a tree. Well, this week we learned how we can experience this life in Christ. And we've learned that there are two basic keys. Experiencing life in Christ means first you have to accept it, and then you have to continually set your mind upon it. So you accept the gift of God's grace upon you and God's spirit within you, and then you set your mind upon it. You don't walk away and forget about that reality, but you accept this new reality, and then you live out of this new reality. You make in Christ your new operating system. You make all of your decisions based upon this truth. I am in Christ. Like a branch is in a tree, I am connected to, I am attached to Christ. I am in Christ. And that brings us to today's big idea. Experiencing life in Christ is as simple as thinking and acting as though Jesus told the truth. I'm going to say that again. Experiencing life in Christ is as simple as thinking and then acting as though Jesus told the truth. Jesus said, I am the vine, I'm the tree trunk, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. You have got to decide and then act as though when Jesus said that, he wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. You accept it, and then you set your mind upon it. And then experiencing life in Christ, it's as simple as thinking and acting as though Jesus told the truth. Now you're watching today, and you are in the trenches in life. You are in the middle of a battle. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling confused. You feel like you don't have what it takes to win in life, and you don't know what to do. Listen carefully. Experiencing life in Christ is as simple as thinking and then acting as though Jesus told you the truth. You are in Christ. That means you're never alone. And it also means that it has never been about you having the answers. 
It's always been about you simply thinking and acting as though Jesus has all the answers. It's always been about you simply trusting Jesus as you live and do your best to decide what to do in life. You are in Christ. So accept it and then set your mind upon it as you go about your daily life. Live and act as though Jesus told you the truth. Yes, I really am in Christ. His life really does flow through me. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends, which surpasses all understanding, all of our smarts, the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray as we conclude. God, I thank you for your presence in our lives. I thank you for the dynamic power that we have in Christ. For this reality that when I'm in Christ, I'm never alone. And that when I'm in Christ, it's not about my ability. It's not about my smarts, my intelligence. It's about you. My identity is completely linked to you. My success is rooted in your success. My power is rooted in your power. I choose to believe that and I live my life based upon that truth. I will act upon that truth. I trust you. I believe you. Help me to live that out in my daily life. Maybe you're watching and you've not yet made this decision. You've not yet accepted this truth. You've heard it. You've listened to it. But up till now, you've not believed it. I want to give you the opportunity to cross that line of faith, to hear it and to actually believe it and accept it. If you're ready to take that step, pray this prayer with me right now. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I've rebelled against you. I don't want to live this way anymore. I confess, I acknowledge my sin, and I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I accept that you are now grafting me in to the trunk of your existence. I am now a branch grafted into the tree of your presence. Now let your life flow to me and, throw, and flow through me by your spirit. Fill me with your spirit now. Change me from the inside out. May my life become fruitful from this moment forward. And give me the courage to act on this decision now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision, tell somebody about it. There's a number on the screen right now that you can text and, and, and uh, take that next step in your journey. Or depending on the platform you're watching today, you can press the little raise hand sign or you can request prayer and someone will help you take the next step in your journey as well. God bless you folks. Thank you for being with us. Join us next week as we continue on the In Crowd series, learning what it means to be in Christ. God bless you. Thanks for being at Church Online today.